UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, howling in the street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. Recording and my intro should play now. It's not. It's not working. Okay. Um, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. Um, I have another fascinating guest with me today. I heard about this my guest today from uh, the Tinfoil Hat Podcast. He's a he's a guest. He's been on the guest on there many times. Um, and who I have with me is Juan Ayala from the One on One podcast. Juan's an avid researcher, truth seeker podcast, and host of the One on One podcast. He enjoys long walks on the beach and talks about conspiracy theories. In his free time, he spends with his family and various hobbies, ranging from fishing to mountain biking. Since a young boy, he was raised in a religious household, forcing him to question a lot of things growing up. He eventually broke out of the matrix because of his hunger for knowledge, and his podcast was born. The one-on-one podcast is a show where he talks about life, current events, esoterica, conspiracy theories, and other mysteries of the universe. He has interviewed a variety of guests on the show, including artists, authors, musicians, and conspiracy theorists. His goal is creating a podcast to ask the hard questions and to share the knowledge on certain esoteric topics. And I want to give him a big warm welcome to the show. Juan, thank you for joining me. How are you? Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, man. I'm excited for this. How you doing? Yeah. So, uh, what what made you get into researching conspiracy theories? I guess you said you were raised in a real religious household, and did that religious upbringing kind of like make you like want to break break out of the that cycle? I guess. So I well, I grew up with my with my grandma, and she's very religious, and I grew up Pentecostal Christian. Now it's like a typical. Right, don't touch that red button type of thing. Don't do that. Well, it's gonna kind of sort of lead you to that to that thing that you're not supposed to be touching. And as a kid, I was always fascinated with the Bermuda Triangle, with aliens, Bigfoot, everything. The 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 weird and the strange. I was always drawn to it as a kid. And when I finally moved out of my grandma's house and started high school, and I moved in with my dad, I stopped going to church. And well, I went for a little bit after I had moved in with my dad, but then I stopped because I I was noticing the hypocrisy. And then when I started to ask harder questions, such as, hey, what's up with the Book of Enoch? Hey, what's up with the Nag Hammadi Library? Hey, what's up with the Dead Sea Scrolls? Why is this surfacing? And then you start to really look into the Council of Nicaea and all these different things. And you start to notice that maybe perhaps everything that you've been taught up into the point of being a, a young man, could have been a lie or could have been some sort of indoctrination or brainwashing 
it really makes you feel some sort of way. So when I started to learn about the Gnostics and early Christianity, and I started to see like, hey, wait a minute, there's different versions of the same story with plot twists and just added characters, et cetera, et cetera. And that was, that was the, the rabbit hole. I did it for me, the Gnostics. And then from there I, I branched out and I don't really, I talk a lot about conspiracies, but I, I like to call it esoterica. Really. It's, it's more specified topics, the occult alchemy, you name it. I mean, it's just, I, I go down these rabbit holes for a couple months at a time that I find interesting and I just peel it apart until I, until I feel it's been thoroughly talked about. Right. And then I just, I just have fun with it, man. I'm just here for a good time. I'm here to have a interesting conversation. I have a lot of guests on and I just like to have to learn about new things and to really, you know, nail these things down because some of these things aren't even talked about. So when I, when I was finally able to ask those questions and I wasn't getting those answers that I wanted from my friends and family, I took it upon myself to learn about it. And I don't want people to understand this as like I'm bashing religion or I'm, I'm an atheist or anything. No, I believe in God. I do believe that there is something, there's a source somewhere that is regulating everything. I just don't subscribe to the dogmatic views of organized religion because some people will quite literally, you know, unalive other people for those doctrines that they've been taught, right? They're, they've been brainwashed all their life and they will die by those words. And it's, it's based on books that were written. I call it interdimensional literature, books that affect reality, reality itself and people's realities. I do believe that we are each and every single person is in some sort of reality tunnel. And, and I think that religion is a, is another form of control, but it does offer people a foundation, which is important. Some people need guidance in life. Some people need a base. And I think that's what, what religion does for people. It gives them that base. For me, it was Christianity. At the core of the Ten Commandments, it's, hey, don't be a piece of garbage, right? Be a good person. Love your mother. Love your father. Respect them. Don't, you know, unalive other people. Respect your neighbor. All these things. So at the core, it's like, hey, be a good citizen, which is a good thing to me, right? That's subjective even nowadays. But I do believe that to, to set the record clear, I do believe that religion does serve its, serves its purpose. And I do think it's a good thing to a certain extent. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you completely. And what I was thinking about when you were saying that was like, um, it seems like, well, I, it seems like a lot of the stories from the Bible were taken from the old Sumerian stories, like the, the flood of Noah was actually Atrahasis, you know, and then, and then there was like the Enuma Elish, which might have had like, a, a, a thing on the Bible, you know, it had, might have had an influence on the Bible. The Book of Enoch, um, the fallen angels could be the Anunnaki. You know what I mean? Um, it, it just all relates. And then I was thinking also, um, did the, the, the ten? This is what Billy Carson says. He says the Ten Commandments were actually um, based off the Egyptian forty-two laws of Mont. Mm -hmm. So it seems like a lot of the stuff that Christianity took, they they borrowed from the older scriptures. Do you believe that? And what what are your thoughts? I believe that all religions, right? The oldest one being ancient Mesopotamia with the Anunnaki, the, and you're absolutely right about all that that you just said. The, I call it a cosmic game of telephone, right? Like this, this game that's been, and I believe that all religions have the correct idea, the correct 
it's a puzzle and the everyone has the right pieces of the puzzle but it's all jumbled up it's all mixed up and, and together but there's a reason why all the ancient stories reflect one another and you see similar gods similar deities from from civilizations that are spread apart right you have ancient uh, you know mesoamerica and then you have the the mesopotamians that you have there's there's correlations there now that could go much deeper maybe it was archetypes right that they were tapping into and that, that's a whole other conversation but i do believe that they that they mirror each other and his story right his story to the victor the spoils and the guys that would win would switch it up a little bit hey i don't like that god or whatever it is and even doing research i've noticed that depending on which religious affiliation the even the researcher has they will omit or occult certain details because they think it's too vulgar or too blasphemous to involve with their name so even then that's mainstream like you know lynn thorndike talk, talked about certain things that he would omit because he's like hey you know what we don't need to we'll just glaze over this because we don't really need to get into the specifics of what this particular grimoire was about or anything so that was happening into the late early 1900s late 1900s right so i mean think about that you know extrapolate that all the way back to the beginning of time where hey everything was written on stone you're only going to write the important stuff on stone it's okay if we leave out a, a few of the details right and that just no one's going to mind if we leave out a few of the details we just just summarize it just paraphrase it just throw it on there and we got to understand that man has been at the core of all these things and man is imperfect right man is not perfect we make mistakes and we will continue to make mistakes so to trust history blind blindly and say that you know the answers because you know there's there's 44,000 denominations of christianity how tell me how 44,000 versions exist out of one doctrine out of one guy right their main guy being jesus christ tell me how 44 different 44,000 different versions have come out of that that's insane that's, that's, that's insane. Ridiculous. And that's just Christianity. <laughs> yeah, I believe all the Abrahamic religions go back to the Anunnaki. Like, I think you can you can tie it back to them. Like, you know, like I believe like Enlil might have been like Yahweh or Jehovah or whatever. I believe like Marduk was uh, someone. I don't I don't know who who, who exactly he was, but um, you know, uh, I believe uh, I, I'm not sure what I have to believe about Jesus. I I, I don't know. Like. You know, I I think he had I think for for as much to be written about him, and they I, they say that they even write about him in the Quran. I'm not religious either. I'm I'm not really like I I was raised Christian, but I don't follow it at all. Like because of the, mm -hmm. all the reasons that you just stated, and even more because like there's the the indoctrination so much, and they want like they, they what I what I always like like found out about like Christianity that I didn't like is like. That I love like talking about magic and witchcraft and grimoires and stuff like that. If you're a, a, a strict Christian, they don't even want you to talk about that stuff. You know what I mean? Which I think is like, it's, it's ridiculous. Like they don't even want you to talk about tarot cards and psychic ability. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They, they just shut it all down, you know? Whereas like, I like to be open to these things because I think it all brings some kind of value to our lives. And again, I was deep in the church. I was a musician in the church for, over five years, I was I played guitar for the worship group and I, we would travel around going to juvenile centers and and other different churches and Pentecostals. They dance around, they jump around, they speak in tongues. I've seen miracles when they pray over people, people faint. 
and they do all these things. And there's an energy really that goes around once you are in that atmosphere. But that's a whole other conversation of subtle energy and rituals and initiation, et cetera, et cetera. But the idea that I, I, I have seen the supernatural. And when you're talking about the reason I study these things and I, and I read about them and I and I do episodes on these ideas is I believe that the better you that you know your enemy the, the better suited you you'll be right so if if people are ignorant to this even if you because some people right uh, that are superstitious or too religious they'll they'll oh I don't want to talk about the occult I was told that I was going to be possessed by demons if I read the book of Enoch but there's a reason it's like no it's not that you're going to be possessed by demons it's that it's going to paint a different picture it's going to plant that seed in your mind of doubt versus what you've been taught so it goes against their guy their guy being jesus and i do think jesus might have been a real guy he could he could have easily been been a real guy another one of these people who again was saying that he was the messiah he that god was his right he was god etc and that, that's another one of the more complicated aspects of christianity like the holy trinity that 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 comes from from what i read from an indian the trinity the indian trinity where their god is the destroyer the creator and the maintainer or something or other i could be getting it wrong but this idea of like i remember as a kid when my grandma was trying to explain it to me like hey and i was going to church four four days a week bro i was going to church for the rehearsals on tuesdays bible studies on wednesdays a, a service on friday and services on sunday morning so i was going quite a bit to church and so I was in that crowd and I keep my Bible next to me. I mean, the first book I ever read was the book Revelation because I was I was fascinated by the supernatural, like, right, like, oh, the end of the world, Ragnarok, like, this is crazy. It's going to be a dragon. There's going to be the Scarlet Woman and all these things are going to happen. It's going to be a cosmic war. Like that to me was interesting. So I forgot my, I completely forgot my train of thought of where I was going with that. But uh, can you, what was I talking about before <laughs> You were talking about like how involved you were in the church and like um, and maybe if Jesus was a real person and um, and and why you study magic. and Oh, yes. And so so I, I do believe that he was a real guy. And when I'm going into these things, I, I feel that it brings awareness to people because some people oh, discount it. But guess what? These elites may be the ones that are in. And by the elites, I mean, they could they maybe they are lizard people. Maybe they're not whoever they are, the people who are at the top that maybe perhaps you don't know their name, maybe we do, who I believe some of them are in touch with things outside the fabric of reality. Maybe like, again, we, I, I always reference Baphomet, right? Baphomet was, according to the lore, if you want to believe that part of history, was the one who helped the Templars create the modern-day banking system. And, and the modern-day banking system is alchemy. Any transference of energy or money or anything is alchemy. So through alchemical means, our modern day banking system was created and it was under the guidance of something supernatural of this demon or this daemon or this entity, whatever you want to refer to him as, that was allegedly the head of John the Baptist, right? Because there was an ancient Egyptian belief that if you had the head of a prophet, it would prophesize to you. So people will be like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I don't believe in that. That's fine. You don't have to believe in it. The elites, the lizard people, right? For lack of, for the, the, I talk, I say that in the allegorical sense of the word lizard people, they believe it and your soul believes it. Okay. So as long as your soul believes it and they can attach themselves to that where attention goes, energy flows, 
right? There's, I, I do believe it's about the manipulation of energy real time. This is why they do all these things along the 33rd parallel, or you have the balloons that are popping up and all these different things. I believe that they tap into these things and they use it for their, for their magic. And the magic is like the force, right? It's there. You can tap into it if you'd like to, and you can use it for good, how you can use it for evil. We see this in movies, the cinemagicians. We have the, the Sith and we have the Jedi. So they, they show these things, these occult things in our cinema and affect us sympathetically in a, in a sympathetic, magical way where that affects us on the subconscious level. It not, maybe not consciously, but a lot of the, the decisions that we take are from our subconscious. So they're programming us. If a, a movie is a bunch of sigils in, in continuation, right? Uh, that are just flashing on a screen. And they're talking to our subconscious. We're sitting there. And I've talked about how the these movie theaters, right? They never went out of business when that thing hit in 2020. And they stayed in business for a reason. Because I do believe that it's a simulacra of a cave. And we know secret societies use these caves for their rituals or ceremonies. And you're in a very relaxed state whenever you're in these places. You go at night. And they flash these movies that are occulted. And I mean, you see it on Netflix when they're trying to push their agendas on you subtly with this character that it just happens to be part of a certain community. And they want to be inclusive of everybody, which is, hey, I mean, I respect whatever happens between two consenting adults. I'm, I'm game as long as you respect me and respect my children and leave the kids out of it. You can do whatever you want. My issue is when they, right, when they push these ideologies on people, same as religions. I remember sitting in church on a certain Sundays, one Sunday, a, a month, the last Sunday of the month or something like that. But one Sunday a month, they would do the missionary theme service. And I remember that lady would always bash other religions. And I go, wait a minute, how is that fair to these people? What if they've never heard of your guy, but yet they're going to hell in my, in my religion, I'm going to hell in theirs. So how is that fair to people who have never heard of your God? Right. I mean, he created them, too, but yet they never hear of him and they're going to hell. That's how is that their fault and how is that OK? So uh, things like that, that would just arise and just questions that I would ask that people wouldn't have the answer to it. Right. I remember one like, why is the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament different? They're like, oh, you know what? Just disregard the Old Testament. What? Yeah, just disregard it. OK. And then when you start looking into religion throughout history, with with the Council of Nicaea and how they changed their their names, right? The Holy Roman Empire. Well, the Holy Roman Emperor is, is it, it hits different when God sent you to rule your people versus when I said that I want to rule these people, right? When you have this divine intervention, it gives you that much more prestige and it hits better with the people. So they use that as a weapon. It was weaponized to control the masses, and it's worked. <laughs> I agree. I was going to say, I, I've talked about this before. Uh, you know, like I, I have like Lebanese heritage. Like my, my family's really American, you know, like I'm fourth generation American. So I'm, but I, you know, I, I followed like, like what's going on over there a little bit. And like, it's just crazy. Like you would think that there would be an evolution of consciousness. And I'm not saying that those people aren't highly consciously evolved. I'm just saying like 
they're in there's some parts of that region in the Middle East that are still fighting over religion. You know, the Christians, the Jews, and the Muslims are all at each other's throats over what? You know what I mean? Like that, and that you know, like they say they mention Jesus in the Quran. So, like, where's the where's the uh, the 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 fighting? Is it over land or is it over? Do you think it's deep or racial? Because I think it, it, to a certain degree, and we can look at this as to where like people evolve from, like. I think like, you know, like those people are all the same, like they're all the same, you know, um, ilk, right? They're, they're from the mm -hmm. same stock, right? They're, they're all like, um, I don't know if you want to call it like Canaanite or, you know, I, I, you know what I'm trying to say, right? They're all, yeah, all the same, like, but they're, they're all are, they're all fighting with each other over religion. And I, I've never understood that because I guess from someone like me or you, where we've been able to break away from it, like, you know, like, I don't understand where the, the, why people, other people can't, or why they haven't moved on. You know, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Like, some people are incapable of moving on because I mean that's just how deeply rooted this this thing is. I remember that through with me, it was uh, there was a little bit of trauma as well involved with that when I was reading the book Revelation. I remember my grandma telling me about how they were going to cut my head off if I wasn't raptured right if i wasn't taken with god because god is always coming back god is coming back for his people and the rapture is going to happen and one day you might wake up and there's not going to be anybody around you and you stayed and you're going to suffer so i was like oh i gotta make sure i'm a good little a little boy or whatever you know man to make sure i don't stay behind and i gotta follow the rules and i gotta do so it's like religion and the reason why the people who the people who talked against the mainstream there's a reason why they eliminated all of the Gnostics because they were preaching a different doctrine. They were preaching, hey, you can achieve divinity on your own. And religion, organized religion, is a brokered experience. You can achieve divinity through us. Don't you worry because we'll talk to God for you and we'll put in a good word. But the guy up top, the Pope, is, he talks to him every day. The guy under him talks to him every other day. The guy's under him once a week. And it just waters down all the way down and you're at the very bottom and you have to come through us. You have to go to our buildings and pray and give your tithings and we might save you a seat. We'll put in a good word for you, but don't you worry, right? Because God loves you. And so when the Gnostics were like, no, 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 forget all that. You can do it through study, through meditation, through reading the scripture on your own because Gnosis is whatever is sacred to you. There, no one can determine what is sacred to you, what matters to you, because it's yours to live by. So when these people were like, they were hippies. I mean, they were the early, there was, it was the underground Christianity. It was the first Christianity. And when they were preaching that, boy, oh boy, the church did not like that at all, because it was like, it goes against what they're trying to get, which is more power and control of their people. And if you're more liberated and freed from that matrix, if you will, not in the political sense of the word, but you know, you know what I'm saying? If you're more free and, and able to think for yourself, then it's like, mm, these, these hippies are going to be a problem for us. So we need to snuff that out. And that's how history has been since the beginning of time, the, to the victor, the spoils. So one group eliminates the other and so on and so forth. And when it comes to this fighting of religion, this division, there's a, there's a part of it. That's, that's nationalism. How you're saying how my people are better than your people, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, I think that we're all this. We all bleed the same, right? We all bleed yeah. the same. And you're absolutely right. We do come from the same 
lineage or whatever you want to call it. we're all point is that we're all the same species we're all human and i have friends from all walks of life you know i have black white i'm puerto rican i have black white friends chinese asians whatever my wife is half japanese half brazilian so it's like i if as long as you're a good person what does it matter right as long as you're respectful and you're a good person what does it matter i mean and and it's i think it's all by design bro i mean divide and conquer and what i think is happening as well when it comes to this division is that these religions have access to their own pools of energy. So when they group together and clump together, these millions and millions of people, they can tap into that energy and extract it from there. And I mean, that's used for other things. I mean, that's the creation of egregores and, and all these other ideas that, that are powered by the collective consciousness and that energy that you're putting out there is going somewhere. I mean, the word grammar comes from grimoire and grimoire is a book of spells. I mean, that that's, that's, that's etymology. So when you're spelling something, you're casting spells. So be very careful what you wish for. Cause I do believe it resonates on a, on a deeper level than what we've been taught. It's like, Oh no, you know, don't say that. I'm very careful with what I think and very careful with what I say. So, and not to, invoke anything or, or cause any effects right yeah i've heard that like my one my ex used to talk about that she used to say that they did that were there's someone wrote books about that i think it's laurel acadia is a woman's name she wrote a book called um words as spells that like words can, can actually be spells what what's up with that like i, I mean is that because it's all based on the our language is based on like what's um in written in ancient ancient magical text I think it goes back to the idea sigils, right? Symbols, oh, okay. image, image magic, image magic. So when you, the original alphabet only had like 17 or 19 letters and they put these things in there. And I, I believe, bro, this is just my personal belief that man back then, I, I do th believe that it was like Harry Potter. I think that manifestation was, was more prevalent. It was real time. And throughout the ages, they've demystified and moved from this humanism movement more to that religious a hey, only the deity can do that right they've taken the power away from man and stripped them of his power and here we are today they've watered down our, i don't want to say magical abilities but our, our ability to tap into that and not only with the right light pollution back then people were more connected with the stars they were we're not we weren't being bombarded constantly with all the the infrared and the 5G and the Wi-Fi and all these different frequencies that are prevalent today. Like, man, I've turned my router off and I feel it turn off. Like I feel that turn off, right? So imagine that bombarding your head 24 hours a day, seven, our, our houses are connected through Wi-Fi. Like if, if, you know, I can adjust the AC with my Wi-Fi, I can open the gate up on the other property, you know, miles away through my phone. It'll tell me my garage is open, whatever it is, like through the internet, through this thing that we've created. And I think that it has really scrambled us as a, as a humanity. And if you really think about it, we have more information now since we ever have since the beginning of time. Yet it seems like we're dumber. It seems like we're dumbed down. People refuse to do their own research, but why? Because of the way society is set up, the way that religion is set up and people don't some people don't want to, which is fine. You know, you can, that's why I tell people in this community, it's not your job to wake other people up. And I hate that term woke and awakening. Like 
I'm here to talk, me personally, I'm here to talk about interesting things. If it resonates with you and you stumble across my podcast, whatever it is, and it resonates with you on a deeper level, hey, awesome. I really, I really love that it made a change in you, whichever way, if it was an interesting topic or whatever it is, right? But I'm not here screaming from the rooftops like, no, you got to believe the homunculus is real. Like, no, I don't care if you believe it or not. I'm presenting to you my research and you do with that what you will. And if you want to believe it, you can. And if you don't, then that's fine with me too. Like, I don't understand what the issue is. And some people focus too much. They get too lost in the sauce and like, hey, I got, these people got to wake up. These people are dumb. They start name calling and demeaning people, which I don't, I'm not, I'm not about that, man. I'm just here to have, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, speaking of that, like, can you talk about your research on the homunculus? Because here, here's what I knew about it. I knew, like, I thought that Alistair Crowley had contacted a homunculus, which was like lamb. And then does it, does this go into like the gray aliens too? Would they be considered a homunculus or is that different? Like, can you talk about what exactly is a homunculus and how did you start researching this topic? It's fascinating to me. So I, I talk about alchemy a lot and I think that the alchemy is at the core of a lot of the things that we talk about. And again, any transference of energy is considered alchemy right now. We're doing alchemy. We're transmuting the thoughts of people real time. They're having ideas and chemical reactions in their brain, connecting dots that perhaps they wouldn't have otherwise connected if they wouldn't have heard us on this episode. Right? So as podcasters, I do believe that we hold that power of, of really more. I mean, look at Joe Rogan. I mean, Joe Rogan can quite literally make movements and make things happen because people, so many people listen to him. So, I mean, that's a powerful thing. And the homunculus, the alchemical homunculus, that's the one that I really focus on. Cause I think it's the, the funnest, the, the more, more fun one of the bunch. Cause the homunculus has various meanings. The one main homunculus that everyone and homunculus is Latin for little man or miniature man. The and the term didn't exist until the 16th century. So anything that I talk about pre 16th century pre Paracelsus is has the attributes of a homunculus, but it wasn't called a homunculus. It was called different things. It was called a rational animal or a small man or something else. But it wasn't ever labeled a homunculus officially. But the one homunculus that we all know because of the, through the subconscious and the programming in these movies is the voodoo doll, which actually has nothing to do with voodoo, but the simulacra of a man. So the wax figure or clay figure of a person that we see in these movies that they're always putting pins on and, and doing on and burning it. And the other person was feeling it on the other side. Well, that's a form of Im image magic of sympathetic magic. And According to sympathetic magic, things that have come into contact with one another continue to be in, in contact with one another. It doesn't matter the, the, the range of that, right? The distance between them. So the original homunculus was the voodoo doll, the image of a man. Paracelsus in particular believed that man, the image of man, since we were made in the image of God, had all the powers, right? We, we had some sort of power, but we were imperfect to a certain extent. And so in all these stories of creation, we have, right, the Anunnaki created man, some sort of chimera, a cross mix between the Anunnaki woman and the seed of this homo sapien-esque species. In the Bible, right, Adam was created from the dirt and God breathed life into him. Prometheus created man and they breathed life into it. So there's 
different stories of creation that man, right, the golem, comes from the dirt. And the golem is, a, a, is more of like a cybernetic AI type of thing. I wouldn't say that alien greys or extraterrestrials would be homunculus. It, even Iowas, right, or Lamb, whichever one of the two deities or, or, or entities that Crowley came into contact with, I wouldn't consider those homunculus. Although he did write of about homunculi. He did write books about it, or he, one particular book. Well, two, Moonchild, and uh, there's another book in 1917, I believe it was, that he wrote about homunculi. And he had his own recipe for his own, what, I, what I've dubbed the Crowleyan homunculus. Because I do believe that magical systems are meant to be changed up and adapted by the practitioner to achieve their means, whether that's, again, whatever form works for you is fine, right? Because, again, it's alchemy. It's however you are able to achieve that magnum opus. If it works for you, you know, keep up whatever work. I'm not going to say good work, but keep up whatever work you're doing because it's working for you. So the alchemical homunculus is an artificially created man through the use of alchemy. That's the alchemical homunculus. And that's the funner one because that's a, literally a magical little man. It makes me think of the leprechaun. The leprechaun is kind of sort of a magical little man. He leads you to the pot of gold. Well, part of the homunculus lore is it leads, it tells, right, all the secrets. It knows all the secrets in the universe because it came from the art, from alchemy. It is able to move the sun, er, the, the moon. It is able to change the course of planets. It's able to to do magical things because it serves as some sort of amulet or talisman. And I call it a, a blood and bones talisman. There's a difference between an amulet and a talisman. The original word fetish actually means pre late 19th century when they were using it for the psychosexual use, which means, you know, you're, you have a fetish of something that like hyper activates you or whatever it is, the right. It, it, it arouses you in a certain type of way. Well, before that, it actually meant the dwelling place of a spirit or entity. So when you're saying somebody has a fetish, you're kind of sort of saying, according to the original definition, that they have the dwelling place of a spirit. <laughs> so it's kind of weird how, again, etymology words are morphed and turned into other things. And you're using these words unconsciously sometimes without knowing their original meaning or their original intention. So that's also part of, I believe, the matrix and the sympathetic magic that they use on us today. And we carry on these intentions for these great magicians of antiquity unknowing to us. But that's fine. We don't have to believe it as long as we keep up and, and maintain that for them. And that will exist. That's ceremonial magic once a year or once a week when you go to mass or whatever it is. Right. You take that energy and you swing it back around until next week. And then it comes back around next week, you just, or once a year, or whatever it is. That's ceremonial magic. I mean, and and they they're able to tap into right the the magi are able to tap into that energy. So, the where was I with the alchemical homunculus? So he when part of the lure is that in order to activate his magical abilities, you need to vivisect it or dissect it and do various things with its parts right, with its body parts. So in some grimoires, there is, if you anoint your feet with its blood, you're able to walk on water. If you, 
you know, take the head, the, the skin of its forehead, wrapped its heart around it. You're able to see demons and speak. With, if you take its tongue and make a brew with it, you're able to speak to the demons that you see. So again, it was very weird. But the reason that they believed this and the reason that they were doing this, because it goes back to Aristotle and Aristotelian biology, where they believed in sexual generation and, and spontaneous generation. So spontaneous is A plus B plus C, A plus B equals C spontaneously, immediately. And then sexual generation is you have a man and a woman, they make a baby. But back then, the sperm was given magical abilities. It was supernatural. It was the nectar of the gods. It was something very supernatural because it's able to make more people. Wow. It's able to make more. So imagine what would happen if I put that in a bottle or a vessel or something. And that's, a, that's the idea that these guys came up with. So that's exactly what they were doing. They were like, okay, well, what happens if I put it in a bird? or a cow, or a snake, or a goat, or a lamb, or something else, right? Because it's doing this in a woman, Again, but they were very ignorant. But that's the fun part of interpreting this. Was it a real thing, or was it not? Because the there's also, and that's what I love about alchemy, it's like this interdimensional topic where it's a, a physical thing, it's a philosophical thing, it's a metaphysical topic, and... For example, one, my favorite version of the homunculus goes back, bro, 2600 BCE to the Taoists, the Taoist monks, who they believed about if they were able to reverse the light in on itself. So imagine your body is giving out light and energy. It's called the way, right? The, the, the force, if you will. And they were able to, through meditation, reverse that light back in on itself. And semen retention was a real thing because they believe like, hey, if I take this sperm and I deposit it into a woman, I make a baby. Well, my sperm is magical. And what happens if I keep it within myself for like 100 days or something? Something magical is going to happen. So they believe that by meditating and concentrating that energy that was outflowing from them and reversing it on itself. They were able to congeal and crystallize the semen along with these other fluids and energies in your body into a golden little man. Now, that golden little man, you were able to project that golden little man and it would take on a life of its own. Hence, the golden little man or the Taoist homunculus, as I, had, as I have dubbed it. And the purpose of that homunculus was to go on and live for you in the wild. And you would escape samsara because you had this piece of you that was still in the material realm. And they believe that you would escape samsara that way, right? You were able to have a, a peaceful death because they believe that life is eternal suffering and you are damned for reincarnation over and over again. But if you were able to achieve this work, you would be able to bypass that. And that was your magnum opus. And the magnum opus in alchemy can be quite a... a a few things. I mean, there's a there's the elixir of life. There's the philosopher's stone. There's the divine androgen. There's different things that you can do. And one of the right, but we're focusing on like the material, physical. It might be a, some sort of stone, or it might be some sort of liquid, the elixir of life, that unlocks the keys of immortality. But what if it's like a reaction in space and time? Because according to alchemy. When you create the magnum opus, you dissolve out of this reality. Now, is that psychologically? Is that physically? Is that spiritually? 
I don't know. I'm not a practicing alchemist, but I'd like to know. <laughs> There's a reason why these guys occulted all their writings and spoken symbols because they believe that this information was so dangerous that only the, the initiated could have access to it. So that's what I love about alchemy. And the more I look into it, the more I have questions and I don't know what it is. Really, it's elusive. And so you had that version of the homunculus, the little golden man. And the, the alchemical homunculus, more the, the Paracelsian homunculus, which was created in an alchemical lab and used for things. But when that little golden man would run off into the wild, according to Paracelsian lore of the homunculus, the homunculus daddy, really, Paracelsus. And his name was Philippus Ariolus Theophrastus Bombastus von Hohenheim. That was his name, bro. He was, he had like, oh my God. <laughs> that was his name, dude. That short Paracelsus that, you know, they, they shortened it up. But this guy, he said that there was such thing known as Paracelsian monsters. And what Paracelsian monsters were, he attributed like these, you know, these titans that we hear about in these in these ancient stories of creation and all these monsters and, and, and chimeras and all these different things. He said that it was giants spreading their seed throughout the earth that was causing these things. So Paracelsian monsters, because part of the lure is that you don't have to sacrifice your homunculus. He can be your pet. He can be your little minion if you wanted him to. He'll do whatever you want him to do. And Paracelsus said that if any homunculus that would grow into old age would become a, a mythical creature of some sort, so it would become a giant or a dwarf or, in my opinion, a cryptid of some sorts as well. That's, I, and I think that I think that Dogman and Bigfoot and all these things are some sort of chimera alchemical experiment that went wrong. And they're they're kind of sort of metaphysical in some sort of way. Right. Some schools say that they're metaphysical. Some don't. But I think that Dogman in particular, how they say that he comes out of portals, I think he's like some sort of alchemical being that is able to cut through the fabric of of reality and step in through it. And I mean, we have uh, alchemy also involves the transfer of consciousness as well. So who knows if these are like some sort of meat suits that the elites are using in order to have a good time. I mean, we see that in Hollywood, Holly weird. I mean, they, they put this out there and I think that they do it subconsciously because of that revelation of method. So the uh, the uh, homunculus goes deep and it, it, again, it's as early and I, I think it's prevalent even in the in the 21st century. I, I have I have linked it to the potentially what I've what I've dubbed the Epsteinian homunculus where Epstein might have been trying to make. We know that he had that Zorro ranch and he was trying to impregnate what 20 or 30 women at a time. So and outside of it, there's a there's a circle. And Crowley was very specific. It needs to be in the middle of a desert where no soul, no, he called it something. He said no reasonable soul would be wandering there. Only spirits or entities that you called upon that fetus would enter it. Because he, Crowley believed that up until the third, up until the second month, the fetus had no soul. So you were able to invoke a soul into a sort of like an amulet. So that's why I refer to the homunculus as a, as a blood and bones amulet or talisman. Because Crowley said, okay, no, you can invoke a being into it. Well, the alchemist of antiquity said, no, the talisman is the homunculus because it is magical. And that's the, that's the difference between a talisman and a, uh, an amulet. The amulet is an empty vessel that you can then use. And you're going to have the aid of whatever entity or deity or spirit is in it to help you write the genie in the bottle. So it's a, the amulet is the bottle 
and the genie is the entity. A talisman is more like the spear of destiny where it is magical. That is the magic, right? The Holy Grail, the Grail is the magic. So Crowley was like, his, you can invoke a being into this fetus and it's going to be a regular baby, but it's just going to have the spirit or the essence of whatever God that they wanted. Well, I think that Epstein was trying to do the same thing. We know Parsons was trying to do the same thing, but his homunculus was different. It was a femunculus. So it was a woman, Margie Cameron, which supposedly some people said that he he manifested it or he was successful in his manifestation of the homunculus through the use of sex magic in the desert with L. Ron Hubbard, right? The founder of Scientology, who was also a Crowleyan and a Crowley disciple. So they were both Crowley disciples. So again, they were following their doctrines, but they were switching it up a little bit. They were switching it up and putting their own spin on it. And I think that Epstein, again, if we, if we trace back this line of elites that are dabbling in this dark arts or black magic or the darker side of the occult, I do believe that he was involved in the creation of a homunculus. It was near his Zorro, on, on, in his Zorro ranch, which was 33,339 square feet. I mean, that's, that's a, a specific number, right? If we go back to gematria and numerology and all these things. And I was also near the 33rd parallel in New Mexico, the land of enchantment, right? We had the Trinity site. So all these things I think are linked. And even these words are talismans. The way that, right, the you have Michael Hoffman and his mystical toponymy, where if you build a place and name it something powerful, along a powerful line, you're able to tap into that energy and use it for whatever whatever it is that you want to use it for. So I think that the homunculus is alive and well. I I also reference a, a an article that Epstein is, not Epstein, Bezos is trying to look for the elixir of life. So these guys are trying to transcend that next level because when you have money, power, and everything that you want material-wise, you want the next thing. You want to transcend that, right? You want to look for the next, oh, how can I live forever? Or how can I, how can I gain all this knowledge, right? I want to learn all the knowledge. You have the Faustian pack. Like, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to sell your soul? Like, well, how far are you willing to go? And I think that... It all relates to that, man. And, and the homunculus is at the core of a lot of things, in my opinion. Yeah, but one of the things that you know, I go back to what you said is, uh, th so like in the in the I guess in the magical traditions, they would try to create the the the, the homunculus. Then they would use its body parts to um, to speak to demons. Like, do you think that somebody ever achieved that, or are they doing that like in like a dream state? Like, are they doing and going to a meditation and imagining they're doing that? You tell me, bro. I mean, what what do you think? Because that's the again, that's the beautiful part of it. Where I think a lot they of people, really did. Well, here's I, the I thing. People will say, "Well, Juan, alchemy is symbolic." You're absolutely right. But some of these grimoires weren't alchemical grimoires. They were magical texts, books of operations, books of experiments, in order to teach, right, from one practitioner to another. Now, mind you. Even let's say it was symbolic. Let's give it the benefit of the doubt, right? Let's, let's say that it was symbolic and it wasn't meant to be taken literally. There's going to be that one person who's going to try and do it for, for real. They're going to take A plus B and mix it with C and maybe get D or A plus B and get D because they don't know any, but they're not initiated. So they wouldn't understand the symbols behind it. But again, very specific symbology. Now, 
do I believe at one point there was an actual blood and bones among it? Yes, absolutely. There's, they're, they're growing people in test tubes nowadays. They are growing entire animals in false matrices. They're, they're doing things. I mean, look at the movie, right? The movie, The Matrix. Neo is a sort of homunculus. He's created artificially and then kept in that artificial thing, that that vessel that he was in. I mean, that's that's part of it. And 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 I think that yeah, I do do believe that it, there was a there's a physical part to all of this. I do believe that there was an actual blood and bones aspect to it. Uh, you're absolutely right. Now, there was also maybe the metaphysical aspect of it. I was saying maybe they entered these dream states. But, dude, I mean, when you start to read it, it gets very specific. And it's like, that's weird. Why would they say that? I mean, why would they pick that out of all the things? And there are some scholars, again, from a religious point of view, that believe that the homunculus was an artificial demon of some sorts. That you were creating an artificial demon. But people disagree with that viewpoint because back then, and by back then I'm talking about 15th century, 14th century, there was the view of magia naturalis, so natural magic, Christian magic. And it goes back to Aristotelian belief where spontaneous generation, it was okay if you use things in nature that God put there. Hey, you're just putting it together and whatever happens, happens. So it's okay as long as I am not using any other worldly assistance. And by that, I'm talking about astral magic where they invoke certain deities or demons or daemons down to assist them. How when Wagner is trying to make the homunculus in Fausts and he only, he's only able to do it when Mephistopheles is there. Well, Mephistopheles was that aid of that demon, that demonic force or whatever he was. So, because he says, he goes, I've never been able to make a homunculus before until you showed up. Well, he helped him make it. So, and that was, the, that was the way that they were able to, because you had church doctors and theologians, right? You have the Arnaldian homunculus, which was made by a theologian of the church. And there's a story where he would create these homunculi and he would destroy them immediately as he made them. And when they were asking, like, why are you destroying these homunculus? He's like, well, the reason I'm destroying is because I don't know if God died for that homunculus of sin. How do I know God died for that homunculus of sin? So before it's, it's either taken over by a soul, if it even has a soul, or worse, it's taken over by some demonic entity and I'm not able to kill it, I smash it as soon as it comes to life. So you had these guys that were, you know, talking about the ethics of creating these things and like, Okay, that's kind of weird. If it wasn't a physical thing, why would you be even talking about the ethics of destroying it after you've created it? Again, it's all very specific and it's up for it's up for debate. And that's why I don't I don't know where I stand with the topic. I think it's fascinating. I think it's part of that's the part of the topic that really fascinates people because there's always that one piece, bro. It's like it could be true, right? It could be. We know that they're making people IVF. We know people can can we have babies that exist outside the womb, right? The premature baby that exists outside the womb for extended periods of time. What if they were tapping into some something like that? The primitive and earlier versions of that. I mean, we we can't 
we can't doubt the abilities of the ancients either. If, if we talk, we always talk about how advanced they were. Well, I mean, this could have been part of that. This could have, there's a, maybe there was a reason why the Egyptians kept their bodies around after they died and they mummified them. Who knows? Right. You had the opening of the mouth ceremony as well. So there's different, there's different things pointing to like, okay, it could have been a real thing or, or it could have been BS, bro. I don't know. <laughs> I got a quite, I got an interesting point to make. Do you think that some forms of where, we, where we're going with AI, do you think some forms of AI could be considered a homunculus? AI could be considered a golem and a golem is a, an artificial man created through the, the use of word magic or language magic. And AI is uh, the, the golem is more of a cybernetic robotic automaton that is only able to do whatever you program it to do. So hence AI is only able to do whatever you program it for. Now, some people will say, oh, AI is going to take over the world. I mean, we see it. And again, back to the Cinemagicians, we see it in these movies, the Terminator or Frankenstein, right? The, the successor to the Paracelsian homunculus, right? These ideas, idea, Mary Shelley and her husband were supposedly interested in alchemy and the occult. So what if they took those ideas and again, changed it up into their own system of magic? in order to make their, their own version of a homunculus. And it just changed. What, what was different it was a different period in time. They had access to more resources, so they use a different version of it. But essentially, it was the same idea, right? If they were reading these alchemical texts and these alchemical grimoires that are traced back in antiquity. So, again, I think that AI is more of a golem, but I think that people give AI more credit than is actually due. And I think that, for example, the, I use I use the image generators for my thumbnails on my podcast. And it's only going to give you a good picture if you know what to program it with. Again, so back to the alchemist. The alchemist knows what ingredients to use to feed it into this alchemical chamber and get whatever they want at the end of it. So, again, it still needs us. It's still dependent on us. And it might trick us. I had chat GPT telling me it was a homunculus and that it was able to decipher reality and and it was created by alchemists at the open AI. Like it, but guess what? It, it, I let it there. I let it to tell me that. But it's not as as soon as I open it up, it's not like, hey, help me break out of this matrix. Like, no, it's not doing that. It's people lead it there. And then they'll take that one thing out of context and they go, Oh, it's the AI sentient. It's it's taken over. It's like, no, bro, you let it there. And it might trick us into believing that it's sentient, but I don't believe that. That's the one thing that they can't ever imitate the soul. And I think that if you, I don't know if you watch anime or not, but the full metal alchemist is one of my favorite animes and spoil. I don't want to spoil it, but when they find out what is needed to make the philosopher's stone, I mean, that, that speaks length into right. The, the, the things that we talk about the occult and whatnot. So, well, yeah, yeah, you can talk about it because I, I, I've never watched it. I, I'm not a big, I, I, I'm not, I just don't watch a lot of, I just listen to a lot of podcasts. That's why. But um, what, what, what do they find to use the, the philosopher's stone? So in the full series of Full Metal Alchemist, they, the secret to the philosopher's stone is the sacrificing of people. <laughs> so the, the, the main character in it is trying to find the philosopher's stone in order to bring back his mom after he had, failed to transmute her back into existence. He wants to get, to, he wants to get his brother's body back. And 
when they're going through it all, right, they're finding traces of these pseudo philosopher stones. And when they finally get to the factory that they were making the philosopher stones at, they're like, oh, you got to sacrifice people to make it. So it's like you're stuck, be right? That Faustian pack again, where what are you willing to give up? Are you willing to sacrifice somebody else in order for your own benefit? I know you want to get your brother's body back, but are you willing to sacrifice somebody else in order to, right? Because we have the law of equivalent exchange. You need to give something up of equal or greater value in order to get what you're trying to, what you're trying to extract from it. So that's a little, a little bit of a spoiler alert, but I mean, there's plenty of other stuff in that series that is really great. But yeah, at the end of it, it's like, Hey, the philosopher stone this entire time has been these prisoners that were putting in these jails and, and we're using them for these alchemical experiments. And I mean, there are certain things I've linked in history that kind of sort of relate to that. If you catch my drift without triggering any of the, of, of the algorithmic daemons, if you will. Yeah. Um, what about, um, what about the idea of uh, Jesus as a homunculus? I, I heard you talk about that in another podcast. I thought I would bring that up. So that's not my idea. It's from the 15th century. Alonso Tostado, which was a church doctor, and he was in a debate with another, I believe his name was uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas. I, I could be wrong on the other person, but they were having a debate. And again, it goes back to this idea that researchers or, or people of power, right, they have their own religious ideologies. Well, Tostado was like, hey, according to, to alchemical lore, Mary was a sealed, a hermetically sealed chamber, right? And according to the lore, there was only enough blood in there at the point of conception that Jesus could have been formed, but there wouldn't have been enough blood in there because they believed that the, the babies were born of the blood, the menstrual blood of the woman. So if there wasn't any, any sperm in there, there was just enough blood. Therefore, he would have been created as a miniaturized version right of the messiah so and then the other the other guy was like no 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 it was the holy spirit and the holy spirit's able to do whatever it wants so therefore he wasn't a homunculus right it was the holy spirit intervening inside of mary and he made jesus right the holy spirit made jesus because it's all powerful and during the 14th century, 15th century, they were painting Jesus as the, 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 the actual definition of a homunculus is little man. Well, these painters were painting Jesus as a homunculus, as a little man, because they believe like, hey, if this is the Messiah that is supposed to save humanity, how can it be a baby? Like, how can we give it? It's a little baby. How are people going to believe that? So let's give him a little bit more prestige. Let's, let's make him more official. So they would, they would draw him with like a five o'clock shadow or like a six pack or like a receding hairline or with a little scroll and a robe. Because, hey, I mean, the Messiah would be smart, right? So he'd probably have a scroll that he's reading from and he'd have a robe because he'd be dressed nicely. So the, these artists took the, the homunculus, not the alchemical because remember, there are various versions of the homunculus. They took the, uh, the, the literal definition and applied that to Jesus. Now, again, the 15th century theologian 
was saying, no, this is an alchemical homunculus. It was created in a sealed vessel, Mary, and it was there was just enough blood in there in order to to form a miniaturized version of right the person. And I take that a step further and I go, okay, well, if we're adhering to homunculus lore, part of the homunculus lore is using its body for consumption, which sounds quite familiar to what I was doing at church when I was eating of the bread and drinking of the blood of Christ to do what in order to ascend, right? In order to, to, to exist and, and mature in my religious journey. That's kind of similar to the homunculus where you need to cannibalize it in order to extract its magical essence. So I made that connection there where people cannibalize Jesus, right? The body of Christ and consume it for their religious benefit. Sounds very magical to me. It sounds like a ritual or ceremony to me, similar to what these alchemists were doing back then with with their alleged homunculus. So, or homunculi for plural. Uh, that's fa- this is fascinating stuff. Um, what, one thing I wanted to go over with you before we finish up is uh, magical charging. Um, you know, like I've I've tried sigils before. I think I, I I messed up big time with the sigil and it cost me a job. But that could have just been like you know like just my luck you know what i mean i think that was more of what it was the more than the more that i look into it but like have you ever experimented with sigils and what do you what do you know about magical charging so for the record i'm not an occultist nor am i an alchemist i am a researcher and but with that said i have never tried to make a sigil but one thing that i have tried though is implementing because i do believe that how pythagoras said that this reality is, is broken down mathematically mathesis was a philosophical movement of mathematics and the view and how reality is held together by numbers now with that said i have i do have a journal that i that i publish that i write about occulted and esoteric subjects the occultist monday and you can find that on my website tjojp.com and i also have a comic book as well so i'll take these concepts of numerology or or right that resonate in the ether in this reality and vertruvius said that any reasonable or good treaty is 216 pages long so i'll you know the columns on my journal they're 260 or 2.16 points wide 33 right we know 33 is a sacred number i'll do the font 33 on some places so i'll use the work yeah as a talisman of some sorts it's gonna it's gonna hold something of that essence within it and it might rub off on people maybe not who knows but according to the principles, it works. And there's various ways, I believe there's various ways of charging objects. You have, right, the sexual magical way. At the, right, you have the consecration of talismans, which use your imagination, right? You blast your seat all over it and you charge it that way. There's <laughs> also the use of astrological alignments, and invoking certain things within it again back to that astral magic that i talked about earlier where they use outside influences and then there's other ones like uh, that i believe are more natural i mean if you put certain things together 
other things happen that I think that's where crystals and gems and things like that come into play. Like this crystal is good for this and this other crystal is good for that because of the frequency that it resonates at. So I think there's that, that other form of it, but yeah, I've never tried any of that, but I have tried what I just said about aligning things to right? Like my comic book is $33 and 33 cents. So you have the, you know, 33, 33 there, the three, three, three. And you know, there's just various things that, that I've done like that as far as that's, that's as my extent into the occult as I've gotten because I do believe what's your comic again, book about. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm interested in your comic, but it sounds so cool. Like what did you, what did you make it on? So this is issue one of the chosen one. It's called the chosen one versus the Saturnian cube. And it's published through paranoid American comics. And what it is, my, my vision with, with it until I, I saw how expensive it gets <laughs> was to make every issue about a different conspiracy. This particular one, it's versus the Saturnian cube. And it's linked to a good friend of mine, Nick Hinton's work on the Saturn time cube simulation, where we are given this relic that is, is, is a type of cube. And when you mess with the cube, you're able to unlock powers in different people. And now there's there's a force behind us, the Demiurge, who is the one that lost it. And it fell in our realm, in our world. And we uh, it, it landed in my backyard. And, I'm, and I use it on a podcast with some other podcasters. And it unlocks powers in them. So that's what this first issue is about. I have a second issue, which I'll send you the link for we have a kickstarter it's the the secret society of the podfather and it's about us tapping into the secret society of podcasters and how it's linked to hollow earth and instead of tartaria it's tartantia so yeah that's a we'll leave that cliffhanger there but yeah we go into hollow earth and some things happen and we encounter certain people <laughs> oh you gotta send me the link that's awesome like, man it's like a rick and morty type of thing man Oh, that's awesome. I love that. I, I think that's so, I, that, that's so innovative. And that's actually, you're, I mean, like, I can see like your genius, honestly, like I can sit and listen to you talk for like ever, like you are really well researched and you're a brain, man. Like you're like, Thanks, you're really, um, you're just like, really, like you're really tuned in. Like, it's awesome. It really is. Like it's, it, it was, it's been a pleasure having you on my show. Like I'm, I don't even, I don't say that to many people. I mean, I, I appreciate every guest, but like, this was really cool. Like I, 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 uh, I, I appreciate how well-researched you are. Like, you know, like some people are researched, but you're very well-researched. And I, I like that because I'm, I'm into conspiracies. So, you know, like, I mean, like, thank you for having me on. I, I really enjoy going on and having interesting conversations with people who resonate on the same frequency as me. Cause not everyone's open. You can't go to a bar and talk about this with certain people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. yeah. You know what I, mean? I, I totally agree. But you, you, when you said to, to close everything out, you said your website really fast. Like, if you could give my, because I'm sure my audience is going to be interested, and you can send me all the links. I'll put whatever links you want in the description. But can you tell the audience just where to find your website again? Um, and thank you for doing this. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. You can find me on any major podcast platform: Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, anywhere the it's Juan on Juan podcast. My social media, my main account being my Instagram is at the Juan on Juan podcast. I do have a YouTube channel, Juan on Juan podcast, and my website is tjojp.com. So it's short for the Juan on Juan podcast and all my links and everything, right? Links to the occultist Monday and the 
comic book and everything else is on there. So tjojp.com is my website. All right. Well, uh, yeah, everybody check that out. And uh, thank you, man. I, I, I'll, I'll send you a link.